It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Crossover week is upon us, Sky. We are one, less than one week out. And what another week, third week in a row we're opening up like this. It, it has been a whirlwind at the General Assembly. Yeah, just from every week from here on out, we're just going to say, what a week when we open. It'll be very <laughs> creative. <laughs> That's right. So we are looking at crossover next Thursday. And the House especially has just been packed with votes. We went well into the night last night. I think we left the building like after nine o'clock, got back this morning. They've been in House session pretty much all day. Yeah, I was thinking about it this morning when I was walking to the General Assembly that it had been less than 12 hours since I was there last. We have an alert system that we subscribe to. It just seems like our phones are blowing up with committee meetings that are usually regularly scheduled on a certain day and time, but they're just adding, adding, adding. The rules committee yesterday ended up starting at about eight o'clock. And I think throughout the day, there were 12 updates that came from the rules committee um, with different bills being added or bills being taken off. So each time you get one of those alerts, you kind of have to look at it and go through the list of bills and see if there are any bills that you care about because just things are moving, things are being taken off, put on. You just really have to have your eyes and ears open. I, I don't think I've seen this many lobbyists in the building in two years. Definitely not since before COVID. So the rules committee last night, one of the things that our client pointed out, there were, like you said, over 40-some bills on their agenda, and they were just amazed at how fast they were running through these bills. The, the sponsor gets up, pretty much reads the title, gives a brief explanation. Someone's hand goes up for a favorable, making a motion for a favorable report. They were, re- they were just amazed by that. I think that was happening a little bit on the floor of the house as well. Both yesterday and today, it's Thursday afternoon right now, there were over 40 bills on the house floor. And there were just some where someone would get up and say, hey, it's past committees unanimously, let's just go. And there were a few times that the speaker said, uh, without further discussion or debate, very quickly so that there wouldn't be discussion and debate on bills. Yeah, if you ever get an opportunity to listen to a committee that goes into the night, especially the rules committee, it, it's worth listening to just to hear Representative Jamie Bowles comedy. I mean, this guy always has some comment. He doesn't even ask to be recognized, but he just kind of blurts out a joke. And it really gave some levity to the meeting. Yeah, last night rules was pretty fun, actually. Folks were tired. We we had been there. Legislators had been there all day long. I think session was something like three and a half hours. And like I said, rules started at eight. So it was a late committee. And I don't know, there was just a sense of collegiality in the air at that point. So we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. The House is in session as we speak. We were looking at the dashboard and uh, watching session on the YouTube channel and came down and the YouTube, the General Assembly (laughs) YouTube channel. (laughs) And 
thought we'd have an opportunity to record here. A lot of concern inside the building because everyone's trying to get their bill. We've talked about this. You got to get your bill passed by one chamber if it's a policy bill or it's dead for the biennium. But Sky, are they really dead? There are some ways. If you don't make crossover, there are a couple ways for a lobbyist or an interest group to get their bills revived, right? Sure. We've heard people say again and again that all you have to do is put a fine or a fee in your bill and it's crossover proof. That's all you have to do. It's no big deal. So that is one way to make your bill crossover proof. Another way is just to gut a different bill that's already passed. There are some bills that are companion bills and they've passed both chambers. Let's say there's a companion bill on dog walking in the House and the Senate and each chamber passed their version of that. So one of those bills really is not needed. Tell me there's not a bill on dog walking, please. I don't, I mean, maybe there is. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my problem. (laughs) Anyway, that you could use one of those bills, whichever one's not going to be the one to move, just amend that bill and put your language in it. That's an option. Another option would just be just be to put your policy provisions into another bill. You could just add, maybe it's just a small bill. You could just add that on to maybe a related bill or into the policy portion of the budget. The easiest way to tuck something in um, to another bill is put it in the budget. classic trick. Yeah. There are dozens of school calendar bills that are leaving the house. Senator Berger has already said that they really have no interest in these summer calendar bills. These bills would repeal our school start date and our school end date. I have a feeling, and this has happened in the past, those summer calendar bills tend to get gutted and the Senate sends back over another bill. It has nothing to do with summer calendar, has nothing to do with school. It's just a gut and replace bill. In the midst of tons of bills moving in every committee on the floor of the House and the Senate, there were some lobby days this week. There was also, I should say, we started out the week on Tuesday morning with an anti-vaccine rally mm-hmm. that brought a ton of people into the General Assembly. They were asking House legislators to hear a bill that would ban businesses from requiring folks to get a vaccine in order to work there. Um, and it wouldn't just be limited to COVID vaccines. That would be all vaccinations. So that is a bill that has been filed for weeks and has not gotten a hearing. They were asking folks to get a hearing on that. Pretty big rally in front of and behind the General Assembly on Tuesday. It was kind of the first time you'd seen a big protest since COVID. Yeah, I mean, hundreds of people inside the building not wearing masks and proudly telling us that they were not vaccinated. It kind of made for a a sketchy time at the General Assembly. Sketchy time, yes. But on Wednesday, one of our clients had a lobby day, and we had a bunch of firefighters from across the state come in to talk about their legislative priorities. And there were, I think, five 
different committees that their bills were heard in. So we had firefighters in every committee, and they stayed until rules committee last night at 8 o'clock. We tend to not suggest to our clients, and I think most lobbyists don't suggest to clients, that you really have a lobby day around crossover. Firefighters knew very well what crossover means, and they took a gamble, and I think it paid off. Legislators knew they were going to be in the building. They were scheduling bills in committee because firefighters were there. Rules Chairman Dustin Hall asked the firefighters to stay into the Rules Committee and speak for a couple of his bills. I really think it paid off against what would be conventional advice. I think it did as well. The reason a lot of lobbyists don't suggest coming down during crossover week is because it's hard to get an appointment. What firefighters would do is they would go find legislators in committee rooms. They they would go knock on the door, see if their legislator is there. He or she usually isn't, so they would ask what committee they're in. They'd go sit through a committee, and then they would walk and talk with them. It, w- it was really good to see. Some had appointments, thanks to our colleague, Christy Jones, who scheduled a lot of appointments for the firefighters. But then again, a lot of those got canceled because the committees were just meeting all day. Yeah, yesterday was a hectic day. In fact, I think I said to you, I didn't even see you until like 3 p.m. yesterday. We were just pulled in so many different directions. We saw something this past week in the House that you don't often see. It is the motion to lay on the table. Yesterday, there was a bill on the House floor or yesterday evening, I believe. It's a bill we all know and love, um, the Convention of States. So that's something that's generally hotly debated. And when the speaker brought it up for a vote, he did it very quickly so that it wouldn't be hotly debated and we didn't have to listen to an hour, hour and a half of debate on that. He called for the vote very quickly and it was still a pretty tight vote. When that happened, then Representative Howard Hunter went to change his vote. He had voted yes. Yes. I think there were some folks that voted yes because they didn't realize what they were voting on. After that, a a bill gets heard, and I think some Democrats went and spoke to Representative Hunter and and pointed out that he had voted for a bill that most Democrats are opposed to. So Representative Howard Hunter asked to be recognized and requests that his vote be changed to no. Now, this is a courtesy that the Speaker can give the members. He can, if you know, you accidentally hit uh, green when you meant to hit red, or maybe you didn't vote and you want to be recorded as voting. And you can do that within the legislative session. But there's one rule in the General Assembly, and that is you cannot change your vote if it changes the outcome of the vote, which it did not do. Representative Hunter was able to change his vote to a no vote. We go on to hear another bill, and Representative Cecil Brockman, a Democrat from High Point, he rises to make a motion to reconsider. In order to make a motion to reconsider, you have to vote on the prevailing side. This is a motion. If it's granted, you're going to revote. You're going to revote the whole bill. House Rules Chairman Destin Hall rises up and he said he wants to be recognized by the Speaker and he makes a motion to lay that motion to reconsider 
on the table. The House votes quickly. It's a majority rule, which means that a motion to reconsider that legislation for the, con uh, the convention of the states can no longer be heard in the biennium. And it was just so quick, so fast, and it was both sides using the rules, trying to go against each other, but ultimately the rules chairman prevailed. Is that sort of motion something that you feel you have seen a lot in the past? I did actually see it this year. Uh, I was over on the Senate side for the opening day of session. And Senator Phil Berger was nominated to be the Senate president pro tem, which is the, the top leader in the Senate. He was nominated and there was a vote and that vote was confirmed that Senator Berger would be the pro tem. And then rules chairman Bill Rabin stands up and makes a motion to reconsider. And it's kind of an odd thing. We just voted and then your rules chairman is going to motion to reconsider it. Well, then he made another motion to lay his own motion on the table. So essentially what that does is it locks in Senator Berger as president pro tem for the biennium because if it fails, you can't, if it fails on either floor, you can't bring that issue back up. It's called a clincher. It really does lock in the vote, but it's a, it's a fascinating legislative maneuver. You see it once in a while, and when you do it so fast, Sky, it just catches like, what's going on? It's like an onside kick in football. Very rare, uh, but when it does happen, it's kind of exciting. This week, we had Senator Muhammad on the podcast to talk about working with Republicans, some of the work he is doing on the Senate side this year, and how he came into politics. Senator Mustaba Muhammad, Senate District 38, welcome to the Do Politics Better podcast. We appreciate you joining us this afternoon. Thank you, Brian and Sky. Great to be here with both of you. So, Senator, could you just tell us a little bit about you and about your district? What makes it special? Sure. Um, love Charlotte, North Carolina. So Senate District 38 in Mecklenburg County essentially goes across the county diagonally from Cabarrus to Gaston County. Um, everything from the UNC Charlotte area, uptown, South End, Noda, Dilworth, down to the airport area. So it's a pretty diverse, ranging district, uh, folks from different backgrounds as well. Um, a little bit about me. Um, I'm a public interest attorney, uh, one of the second Asian Americans serving in the North Carolina Senate, along with my good friend Jay Chaudhry. We're both from Indian background. Um, been a public interest attorney all my entire life. Started my legal career representing children and families at the Council for Children's Rights. Then adults, so this is why I get a passion for criminal justice, uh, because I get to see where the story has begun for so many North Carolinians as young as six years old, yeah. seven, eight years old. And now when they're grown men and women, you kind of see how we failed them when they were children uh, and what those consequences are. I have a beautiful family, wonderful wife, and three little kids, um, Ayub, Hamza, and Amara, uh, seven, five, and, and one. And Sky and I told you earlier I had to silence my phone because my seven-year-old has begun <laughs> texting and calling. Uh, in the beginning of my wife, I'd be like, she'd call once and like let it go. Now when he uses her phone calling three, three times, I'm like, and in the beginning I was like, wait, is everything okay at home? But it's just him calling again and again. <laughs> Yeah, just to get a hold of me. Uh, but no, I love Charlotte. Growing up in Charlotte, came back to Charlotte after law school, North Carolina Central University School of Law. Uh, my wife wasn't so thrilled about coming back initially because she fell in love with uh, Durham. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator Woodard probably liked that. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're glad to be in Charlotte. Proud to represent Charlotte. Do you believe that Charlotte is better than Raleigh, yes or no? 
<laughs> Absolutely do. Oh. <laughs> you but, know, I wish I wish Charlotte was our capital. My my family would be a lot happier. I tell Senator Chaudhry all the time. I mean, he's down the street from the General Assembly. It's so much easier for these guys to go back to their bed, uh, especially when they have these long hours. But some of us, we got to drive two and a half, three hours with traffic yeah. back and forth. So, I mean, with young kids, how do you balance serving in the Senate with, you know, the demands of fatherhood? Look, um, I'll tell you, is when I first got sworn in, our wonderful mayor from Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Mayor Lyles, uh, mentioned to me that, uh, Mujtaba, you realize when you're serving in public office, not just that you serve, it's your entire family that Mm -hmm. serves. Uh, And I'm beginning to realize that, especially when you have young children, and I respect my friends in public office all across our state, whether you're in a statewide office or serving in the legislature or local government, um, it's a tremendous responsibility and it takes a tremendous toll on your personal life and even your career and your financial well-being of you and your family. Um, but I think folks do it because they genuinely care. And mm-hmm. that's the aspect that I bring. I, I know we're talking about doing politics better. Um, I think both Republicans and Democrats, if they look at the job that we do in public office and realize that everyone's here at the end of the day, because they think they've got some great ideas. Mm-hmm. Give them that credit and believe that folks are coming with good faith in whatever they're proposing um, and learn to listen to each other a little bit because, like I said, it is a tremendous sacrifice to be here, uh, especially in the North Carolina Senate, away from your family. Um, we get paid very little. Um, so you got to really love public government uh, and public policy. Uh, I know I talked to Senator Tillman about this when I first came to the North Carolina Senate, and he shared when he was in the minority um, sitting on that back row, sometimes you can ask yourself, why are you here? Uh, but there's always these small victories where you get together, get to, get to come together, work together to bring progress for everybody. And there's a lot of folks that can't be in that room. Uh, and you've got to remember them yeah. when you're doing this work. So you won a primary in 2018. It was a bruising primary, if I, from, from my perspective here in Raleigh, looking at the coverage. Recently, uh, you had an opportunity to nominate your former opponent to sit on the UNC Board of Governors. So what I will say, look, uh, being the minority party, Brandon, we, we, didn't, we don't specifically, we get to propose nominations, but those don't necessarily get selected okay. for the actual resolution. Um, so I believe, I think Senator Rabin had nominated Senator Ford, okay. uh, my predecessor to the Board of Governors. And um, Look, at the end of the day, I believe that diversity is our strength, and um, I've had my differences with Senator Ford. That's why I serve in the North Carolina Senate in Mecklenburg County's 38th Senate District. Uh, I believe he's a great family man, a great father. Um, we have our political differences, but I think when it comes to especially historically black colleges and universities, I'm a proud graduate of North Carolina Central University School of Law. Um, he cares about that. That's what I said on the floor. Um, I've, he's represented UNC Charlotte, and I currently do. Mm-hmm. And I know he has love for North Carolina, for UNC Charlotte and North Carolina A&T. And, and if we can bring any progress to our public universities and our UNC system, especially HBCUs, um, and, I, and I know Senator Ford has that passion for that, then that's a win for mm-hmm. our community. Let's talk a little bit about your work. So as you said, this is your second term. And you have been working on some criminal justice reform issues this year. Can you kind of talk about that collaboration with the majority, who you've been working with, what you're working on? Collaboration is key, I think. Um, and the great thing I think about being a lawyer, lawyers get a bad reputation, but <laughs> I think attorneys have a good ability to see both sides of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have to uh, when you're representing your clients. Um, and that's a lot of what bills do because mm-hmm. there's good things about a bill there's bad things about a bill so I enjoy serving on judiciary and and I love uh, serving on judiciary with folks like Senator Mike Lee and, and Senator Danny Britt and folks like Warren Daniel 
um, who are all attorneys. Mm -hmm. And I think we can come together and understand, um, hey, there's some problems in our state and maybe we can come together in a bipartisan manner and fix it. Mm -hmm. A lot of these issues, especially when it comes to justice reform, you've heard the saying, aren't necessarily right or left issues or simple right or wrong issues, Mm -hmm. uh, moral and just issues. I firmly believe, um, not necessarily a big government or small government, I talked about this, I believe in a compassionate, responsive and effective government. Mm-hmm. Um, and criminal justice issues are where we can exactly do that, compassionate, responsive and effective. And we found a, a couple of bills that we've been able to work on uh, with Senator Britt, Senator Lee, and uh, we've been able to make some progress and that's great for North Carolina at the end of the day. Um, I've said to many folks in majority as well, and I say it to folks in my own caucus, I don't need to necessarily have my name on the bill. Mm-hmm. I just want to see progress. And that's what, I, that's what I'm here to do. Um, hopefully we as Republicans and Democrats, we can learn to listen to each other a little bit more. Because again, everyone comes to this, I genuinely believe, with a good faith. Um, they think they've got some great ideas and committee hearings are a phenomenal place mm-hmm. to share those ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many times these bills are filed especially when the minority fi- party files them and they don't even get a hearing. Right. And I think that's a disservice. Yeah. So we have to remind ourselves, um, are we going to continue to play politics? Or are we going to do what we were, were elected to do? Because people are counting on us um, to move our state forward and bring progress for themselves and their families. So let me ask you, because uh, I was in committee with Sky. We were tracking another bill and you were speaking to, I think you had made an amendment to a bill. Senate Bill 300, I think. Yeah, Senate Bill 300. So you, you were speaking to it. Then um, the ACLU gets up, and they're in support of what you're doing. And I'm thinking, because not tracking the bill, I'm thinking, oh, all right, this is done. We're, this is over. Uh, so the ACLU speaks. I'm thinking, your amendment must be in trouble. And then the John Locke Society gets up and speaks in favor of your amendment and and in favor of the bill. Can you give us a little peek behind the curtain? How were you able to move such a substantive uh, amendment and work on such a uh, positive bill that the stakeholders from different philosophical backgrounds came together in support of it? Because I think there's a lot of Democrats, to your earlier point, that say, I file bills all the time, they sit in the Rules Committee and never get heard, but you were able to carve out a lane for yourself to make a change. How, how, how did you do that? Look, um, I'm serving the North Carolina General Assembly, and I, I'm only in my second term. I, especially my first term, I like to watch people and learn people and okay. see how and what kind of progress they're making. I think it's the best thing that you can do in any field, even as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're a young attorney, you got to watch people if you're doing an internship. That's how you become um, great at what you do. Um, so I spent a lot of my term. Uh, my first term watching people, uh, both Republicans and Democrats, and watching these folks work and their, the ability to, um, you know, be reasonable, work together, collaborate, have simple conversations, sometimes not even talking about a bill. Mm-hmm. I think those bills, those, that builds bridges and relationships. And then you got to always obviously reach out to the folks of the associations, the folks that have certain interests. So um, obviously, if you're trying to do something with justice reform, you need to talk to the Sheriff's Association, the mm-hmm. police chiefs, DA's conference, folks like the Justice Center, ACLU. Um, so I think if you do a little bit of that work in the beginning okay. and bring those folks together um, for anybody that's listening, that's trying to make some progress, and I, I don't have the answers to everything. Mm-hmm. I've learned from the masters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can make some progress. And that's exactly what we did. Um, that's What you're speaking about is a specific local ordinance amendment that we made because we often criminalize um, low-level, nonviolent local ordinance crimes. Mm-hmm. The General Assembly is the body that's generally supposed to be making criminal law, mm-hmm. but our local governments oftentimes um, dabble in that area. 
uh, and some of the biggest victims of local ordinance uh, crimes are people in poverty, homelessness, mental health issues, substance abuse. As mentioned on the floor yesterday, they're often uh, seen on our streets, under our bridges, sleeping on our park benches, mm-hmm. but they're ignored mm-hmm. and unheard. But yet they get arrested time and time again. They're charged. They're convicted. It's, and I see it oftentimes where they'll be arrested, sitting in jail. They don't have the money to make bail. Mm-hmm. And they'll just go and plead guilty, mm-hmm. whether they felt like they were guilty or not, or maybe they weren't. Uh, and that's a problem because I think we need to be an effective government. And mm-hmm. I think my DAs, um, our public defenders, our judges, our clerks, I think our court and our justice system would be better focused if we focused on genuine public safety issues for all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's focusing on nonviolent, uh, excuse, focusing on violent crimes instead of worrying about who's sleeping on a park bench. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's progress. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's better served. So when you come up with, I think, reasonable ideas and you bring the stakeholders together, um, and then, of course, working with folks on the other side of the aisle, that's how you can make some progress. People have to communicate and talk. Mm-hmm. How do you balance, um, you know, working proactively on legislation with the other party, but then there are policy differences you have. So balancing out your opposition on one bill maybe in that committee <laughs> you're opposed to one bill yeah. and then you have to turn around there's another bill happens that you're wor- yeah you're working with the majority so how, how do you strike that balance happens all the time look folks have to put their big boy and big girl pants on mm-hmm. um we can't let you know we can't be bitter and, and and play those types of games there's different bills just like again for attorneys you have different types of cases mm-hmm. different things that things happen all the time and um, not everything is a hill to die on at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Uh, you just have to pick and choose your battles at the end of the day and obviously stay firm to your values. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that's critical. It's why I'm here in the North Carolina Senate. I have a certain set of values that I generally adhere to and care for and believe in, but I will always, always listen to anyone. I've told you, I think mm-hmm. I've told you that, Brian. Yeah. We've had other uh, um, advocates and, and lobbyists come by our office. Um, I don't, I'm not the expert on everything mm-hmm. or anything necessarily. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you folks come and educate us on so many issues. So you've got to listen um, and learn um, and then make up your decision at the end of the day because you're the one that has, that's hitting that button, yes or no. And folks mm-hmm. will hold you accountable or, 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 or recognize you and celebrate you for your accomplishments. So I, again, just listen and learn a lot. We ask everyone who comes to this table this question. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one issue in our politics today that would kind of ease some of this partisanship that we're seeing, what would your one issue be? I mean, if the only way to ease some of our partisanship is honestly to focus on gerrymandering. Okay. Um, off the top of my head. Because um, I think that brings a little bit of balance because folks are right now stuck in their own corners. Um, there's folks in certain districts, no matter if they're Democrat or Republican, they can file any type of ridiculous bill or positive bill. And oftentimes they might not be held accountable just because of the way mm. the districts are drawn. Mm. Uh, with the advancement of technology and so many other things, I think that that's a huge disservice to everyone in North Carolina at the end of the day because then it's hard to make progress. Um, so I, if there was one, I think if we, if we looked at independent redistricting and a way to solve gerrymandering, I think you'd see North Carolina move forward a lot. Because within the day, we're a purple state. Mm-hmm. Look at us. We're, we have a mm-hmm. Democratic governor, mm-hmm. and we have a Republican legislature. Yeah. That means the people of North Carolina want you to come together. They don't want you to go sit in your own corners, Roy Cooper or, or Phil Berger and Speaker Moore. They want us to come together to solve their day-to-day problems, economic justice for all, quality public schools, clean water and air, 
Um, I, I just simple opportunities for everybody. And that's what we should be uh, staying focused on. I think too oftentimes we get bogged down in some of these hyper-partisan um, bills that we know aren't going to go anywhere. Either the governor's going to veto it or the Republican legislature may not pick up anything at all. Yeah. So finding whatever you can, common ground, is probably the best way to make some progress uh, while adhering to your values. Well, Senator Mushtaba Muhammad, it is a pleasure to have you at this table. Thank you for the service you do for your district, for the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. We appreciate you coming on the show. Appreciate it. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. We had a good time with Senator Muhammad. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to him. Over the years, you and I really got close to his legislative assistant, Sean Greer, who's who's no longer with Senator Muhammad. He's doing some other things. Sean would come to our Do Politics Better dinners, and, and, and we talked to Senator Muhammad a few times, went to him on some issues. He's really a fascinating, fascinating guy. And I really like his perspective. I think he, he's trying to find this balance, and it's it's got to be difficult. Sure. I also think of that time that Sean sent us a Snapchat of them singing together in the car, and I'm a little warm. It just warms my heart. I know. So if you, if you follow Sean Greer on Snapchat or social media, he has some great videos of, of them singing and it's so out of character to uh for senator muhammad uh, to, to see them out of the general assembly sometimes it reminds me of seeing teachers when i was a kid and i'd see them in the grocery store being a regular person you know mm. buying cereal and uh so yeah those videos are great we miss sean uh hopefully sean and, and actually we hope senator muhammad will will join us for some for some do politics better dinners next week will be crazy um as we've been leading up to for weeks and weeks, it will be crossover week. So there will be tons of committees. It'll just be an all day, all night event. And for a few days, it'll be little sleep and um, really get your adrenaline going. And then after that, things will sort of slow down. We might see a Senate budget or we may we might not see that until after crossover. But a lot of things to look forward to next week. Yeah, the day after crossover is always interesting. You, It will be chaotic, full of lobbyists, full of legislators going back and forth. And we'll go in the next day because they might have some administrative session or, or we need to go see a legislator. It's usually very still, usually very quiet. And uh, the next phase, of course, is the budget time, which will get chaotic towards the end, but it'll be nice to kind of get back to a normal pace. I know my wife will appreciate this. I get text messages. Is it going to be a late night tonight? And unfortunately... Actually, your wife sent me that message yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it is. Um, Crossover is a difficult thing to explain to normal people. One of the many treats of our day at the General Assembly is being able to talk to the reporters that are inside the building every single day covering the General Assembly. One of those reporters is WREL's Travis Fain, who really doesn't do his work in the press room, which is down in the basement of the General Assembly. Travis likes to work uh, 
inside the building. He's, he can usually be found in the legislative building writing his stories. He'll sit and talk to you. But he recently had a tweet in the last day that gets to how maybe we could speed up the General Assembly. And it really rings true in crossover week when you just want things to move, move, move so we can we can get these bills done. Can you share that tweet with us, Sky? Sure. So I was in J1, and I think Travis was in that committee. And it was really funny because there was a specific question that was asked to an agency. And the agency representative got up and started just, like, explaining what the agency does. He was just going on and on, and everybody was kind of looking around like, he's not even answering the question. And then the um, chairman, Ted Davis, said, I don't mean to be rude, but can you just answer the question? And that was kind of funny. And so Travis had tweeted, legislative committees would be better if they ran more like the gong show or showtime at the Apollo. (laughs) Next tweet, the audience could yell things like, just read the bill, the answer's right there, and vote already. (laughs) And if they gong you, Paul Koval shows up and escorts you from the building, you're done for the day. (laughs) (laughs) He also had a follow-up tweet it was actually going to the point, I think, of Howard Hunter's motion to, or his request to have his, his bill vote changed. Yeah, he quote tweeted it when that happened and said, ask to change your vote. That's a gong in for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for those of you too young to remember the gong show, uh, it was popular in the 1970s. You'd get up and perform, and if you got gonged, you were off the show. And then, of course, showtime at the Apollo. Once they start booing you, you get the hook. So it would help speed things up, and and we kind of need that right now. Yeah, when folks are debating on the floor right now, and you've been there for hours and hours, like today, the House went into session at 10 and ended about 5, so that's seven hours of session. There, there of course, was a break for lunch, but it's a pretty long day, and when people are just going on and on, they often say... um, Everything that can be said, what is that quote? Everything that can be said has already been said. But not everyone has said it. But not everyone And that rings true sometimes. And yesterday, I actually heard the speaker to his own member say, uh, the gentleman has run out of time. And then he said, okay, you have 20 seconds, go. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that everyone felt that we should be moving things along, um, but... It would be hilarious to have a system like that because people would just drop like flies. They would. They really would. You know, even though crossover is is can be exhausting, it is a lot of fun. And it's fun hanging out with you at the General Assembly because there's a lot of comedy happening. Yeah. Every day there's comedy there for free. There are just little gems in every committee. I know yesterday you mentioned um, Representative Walls and rules. I don't even remember what he said. It was hilarious. I do remember that in judiciary he said DHHS. And then, like, everyone laughed. He's like, what? Did I put an extra H in there? They're like, yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, everyone's just tired. We're all running on adrenaline at this point. Yeah, but we'll make it this week. As you always say, it's better than working. It's way better than working. That's going to be our podcast. Take the time. 
to rate and review and subscribe to this podcast. Help listeners find us. We hope you get some rest this weekend. Have a great week next week. And remember to do politics better. That reminded me of that time that John Bell and I were talking about if we turned it into Survivor and the tribe has spoken. (laughs) You're done. Cross open. Sorry. How am I supposed to know when you're going to start? You just stare into the distance for a long time and then I'm supposed to know?